0: Or at WhatWasThatLike.com. Hello. This is Hey Dude Shoes. This is an ad. But not for your ears. For your feet. Are they listening? Good. Hey Dude Shoes are the squishiest, airiest, lightest, go-to shoes you'll ever have the pleasure of introducing your toes to. So light, a butterfly could steal them. So soft, kittens seethe with jealousy. So cushy, your hands will curse your feet for all the love and attention. Toes. You've hit the jackpot of comfy. Hey, dude. Good to go to. Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino
2: online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true.
0: Chumba Casino was America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbocasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary, void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.
1: This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised.
2: Buddy, and welcome to fruit loop season three episode five can you believe it thank you so much for listening oh man fruit loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we do not hear or know much about now contrary to popular belief not all serial killers are white dudes what get the fuck out of here there are many well documented cases of serial killers of color and fruit loops is a podcast all about them We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims. The media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist, allegedly.
1: And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to Pod at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294, and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com, our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And if you're not on Facebook, you can join the discussion on Twitter or Instagram by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod Discussion.
2: That's right. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone, or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. We also have some merch for sale on our website at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. And if you can't help monetarily, no problemo, no problem, man. You can always give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And also, this is very, very important. Listen closely. Be sure to share our show with your friends.
1: Yeah. So,
2: who are we talking about today, Ben?
1: Today we're talking about uh, Brian Nichols, also known as the Atlanta courthouse killer. Mm -hmm. This was suggested by Marlene, who is active in our Facebook group. She is a woman of color and a very talented artist who has made some sick ass beats for some of our episodes.
2: That's right. Let me get the hip-hop Aaron Harn out for Mean Green Marlene. Yeah. <laughs> so um, before we dive into the subject... How you doing?
1: I'm doing okay. My daughter is here visiting with my grandson again, and uh, I was able to get the week off, so I'm able to spend more time with them this time than the last time they visited. So I'm pretty excited about that. Sweet. Well, that is yeah. wonderful. We'll have to get together or something sometime. Yes, you know, definitely. Like we had time. so much fun the last time when we uh, yeah. got together. Yeah, it
2: was pretty lit. There was yeah, kids running was. around, splash. <laughs> it was a splash. The splash, splash pad bad. was litty litty. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So how are you doing?
2: Well, I'm going to say today was rough. It was a rough Mm weekend weekend. I mean, my son had uh, his first sleepover and then there were two horrifying mass shootings in a 24 hour period. Um, It's terrifying. Um, My kids started school today and I had to ask the teacher, you know, what do you guys do in the event of a school shoot shooting um, of an active shooter situation? What's the protocol? And I really am pissed that I have to ask that yeah. question. Yeah. Um. So I am triggered to say the least. So anyway, yeah. but I'll be all right.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's scary. Um, my grandson starts kindergarten this year, and it scares me too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So homeschooling is still on the table. Um but oh, uh <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> now, I don't
1: know if now, I'd go that far but
2: <laughs> well uh, you know I I didn't I did not think so because I know kids who have been homeschooled and they are a, like a little awkward um and I just think being around other kids is so important when you're like learning um but I also don't want my kids to get shot so
1: you know yeah, well they have they have uh, homeschooling groups like the the people who homeschool you can join these groups and then they get together for um, different things They go on field trips or just go to the park so the kids get some interaction with other kids but mm-hmm. my my problem with with it would be just doing it
2: <laughs> yeah oh my <laughs> god my kid all day long oh oh, i would just yeah.
1: i'd rather kill it, myself <laughs>
2: it would be very very challenging i mean we were so yeah. excited that summer break was over so I it would know. be very, very challenging but um yeah there are ways to sort of get around the whole social aspect and, and make sure that yeah. your kids get that um exposure yeah. um so mm-hmm. now we're going to dive into uh listener letters mm-hmm angels hello okay well I'm gonna dip into the mailbag I just wanted to share an email a quick email that we got from Aaliyah Farid and she actually went to our website and contacted us through our website she said I just discovered you guys and I look forward to long drives just so I can listen to you so Mm hip-hop air horns to you, sis. Thank you awesome. so much. Let yeah, me.
1: thank you, Aaliyah There we go. Alright. Yeah. So
2: now we are gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna get into the story when we come back.
1: Check out the murderific true crime podcast hosted by Bernadette from the state of Maine. Topics will include some seriously true scary stories about serial killers, mass murderers, family sides the missing and unsolved cases go to www.murderific.com to start listening now or anywhere you listen to podcasts until then we will be executing podcasts one crime at a time
2: all right through the power of podcasting we have returned
1: (laughs) so uh (laughs) who Are we talking about, again, Ben? We're talking about Brian Nichols, also known as the Atlanta Courthouse Killer, um, and he's called that because his killing spree started in an Atlanta courtroom. It uh, occurred on March 11th, 2005, when 33-year-old Brian Nichols escaped from the Fulton County Courthouse while on trial for rape, and he killed four people. So he was more of a spree killer than a uh, serial killer, but every once in a while we get into something a little different.
2: That's right. So now we are going to get into the stats. Oh, (laughs) I'll stop at any point. I just really like that sound. (laughs) Anyway. Brian Mean Gene Nichols, a.k.a. the Atlanta courthouse shooter, was a black man. He allegedly, uh, well, I believe he eventually was convicted of raping his baby mama, whose name I could not find. Um, but my understanding is her name has not been revealed in order to protect her as a victim. Um, his baby mama, by the way, was not his rape victim. His baby mama was a woman named Lynn Campbell. And I wanted to just say that because I also think it's fair to consider his son As a victim, Um, he had four murder victims, Judge Roland Barnes, um, Julie Brandow, who was a court reporter, Sergeant Hoyt Teasley, who was a black guy. uh, He was a sheriff's deputy and David G. Willem. During the spree, he also kidnapped a white lady named Ashley Smith and assaulted Deputy Cynthia Hall. um, And she, I guess, suffered a severe traumatic brain injury and never really fully recovered. Yeah, she did. Um, he shot his four murder victims at close range inside the courtroom, and the murders occurred on March 11th and March 12th in 2005. So now we're going to dive into the setting. Take us there, man.
1: So this occurred in Atlanta, Georgia, in 2005. Atlanta is the capital and most populous city in the state of Georgia. Now there's so much history that we can't possibly get into all of it. And we actually covered a case in Atlanta a few weeks ago, but uh, briefly, Atlanta was originally founded as the terminating stop of a major state-sponsored railroad, but it soon became a railroad hub. There are a few different stories about how Atlanta got its name, but most likely it is the feminine form of Atlantic from the Atlantic Railroad which apparently was a popular thing to do back then, feminizing uh, names. Oh. And in 1848, the town elected its first mayor and appointed its first town marshal, coinciding with the first homicide and the first jail.
2: (laughs) Oh, all right. (laughs) Get to work. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) The city was almost entirely burned to the ground during the Civil War, and after it was rebuilt, it became a national center of commerce and the unofficial capital of the New South. Quote unquote. The New South, I'm going to say that again. The New South was a slogan reformers <laughs> used to call them for a remodernization of society and attitudes to integrate more fully with the United States and reject the economy and traditions of the old South and the slavery based plantation system of the antebellum period. Uh, after the American Civil War, the South sought to give itself a makeover or, you know, a facelift. You know, it's like when you get those butt injections, right? A little, just a little lift,
1: yeah. <laughs> little Botox here and there, yeah, yeah. But the rise of the New South involved the continued supremacy of whites over blacks, who had little or no political power. For example, Henry W. Grady, the editor of the Atlanta Constitution, stated in an 1888 speech about the New South. The supremacy of the white race of the South must be maintained forever, Mm. and the domination of the Negro race resisted at all points and at all hazards, because the white race is the superior race. This declaration shall run forever with the blood that feeds Anglo-Saxon hearts. Uh, if you ask me, that's some scary-ass shit. <laughs> that's
2: some very scary shit, but I don't know if you've heard about this yeah. 8chan and 4chan nonsense. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, true. And uh,
1: it's... it's. But that's all kind of, like, hidden away in the back part of the um, internet, and this is, like, the editor of the Atlanta Constitution uh, newspaper, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, the internet stuff is hidden, but it is, it's its it is...
1: It's there according yeah. to
2: recent events. is much more prominent than I think oh, we ever. true.
1: Uh,
2: I, yeah. I made the mistake along with many other people um, in the like mid two thousands, like two thousand five, two thousand to like two thousand sixteen, thinking like, oh well, that racist generation is just going to die out, and then we won't have to worry about white supremacy anymore. But yeah. boy, oh, boy, but they were we all wrong?
1: Kind of boiling on the back burner.
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, this, yeah. Uh, I only bring that up to say that this sentiment has not retired itself
1: yeah no no that's that's right yeah um it's just so uh I don't know what the word I'm looking for is
2: in your face Um, aggressive
1: in in your face and aggressive and um gross
2: (laughs) yeah oh yes (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, there's more. During the 1950s and 1960s, Atlanta became a major organizing center of the civil rights movement with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, Ralph David Abernathy and many other locals playing major roles in the movement's leadership in the 80s. In the 80s, Atlanta dubbed itself the city too busy to hate. Now, Atlanta's economy is considered diverse with dominant sectors that include aerospace, transportation, logistics, professional and business services, uh, media operations, medical services, and information technology. Atlanta is the place to be. And I got to tell you, I um, would love to relocate my family there. So Atlanta, around the time of the murders in 2005, George Bush was president. It was March Madness. I'm trying to think what else happened. 50 Cent released the album. Where were you in March 2005, Beth?
1: March 2005. I don't know. My kids were still, uh, they were teenagers and driving me nuts. So,
2: hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, probably not as nuts as Brian Nichols drove his parents.
1: Oh, true, true.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now we are going to dive into Brian Nichols's early life. So, hit it, Beth. I don't have my gunshot ready, so just go ahead. (laughs) Sorry.
1: (laughs) Brian Nichols was born December 10th, 1971. His parents, Claritha and Jean, grew up a few doors down from each other in Cherry Hill, Maryland, and they remained there after marrying, near family that included somewhere around 50 cousins and second cousins. Mm. A cousin who used to babysit for Nichols said that growing up there was like going from one mother's house to another's. It was like one big, gigantic family, which sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, now I got Brian Nichols beat because I have 65-ish first cousins Um, and (laughs) even a lot more second cousins. So I know the feeling, but when Brian was still little, his family moved to Ednor gardens, a more prosperous neighborhood in Northeast Baltimore. His parents were described as bright, ambitious career people. They wanted a better life for their children and for themselves. Growing up in Baltimore, Nichols enjoyed a quiet middle-class childhood and did not get into any trouble. Um, So I wanted to just say, Welcome to Culture Corner with Beth and Wendy. Uh, Nichols's parents were what we've called uh, mi- Great Migration Babies. Baltimore is one of the stops on the Great Migration, um, one of the many routes that Black Americans took towards the North and West in the United States to flee racial terrorism, Jim Crow, and seek economic opportunity. Um, the president recently has attacked the city of Baltimore um, which was disgusting. Yeah. Uh, what isn't being talked about, though, is why cities like Baltimore are segregated in the first place and have high crime rates and they have high unemployment, poor performing schools and housing disparities. A few reasons why that nobody is talking about are redlining, corruption in law enforcement and corruption in local government and white supremacy in all of the systems, education, law enforcement, the justice system, the economy, everything. If the man in the White House and other Fox News viewer wants to talk about how bad Baltimore is or how infested communities of color are, they need to examine the reason why they are that way, because it is completely by design.
1: Yeah. And I'm done. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Claritha Nichols worked long hours at her job with the Internal Revenue Service, but was also reportedly a devoted homemaker and a good cook. The little boys loved her breakfasts, in particular, eggs, bacon, and piles of pancakes. His father, Gene, was an entrepreneur who owned various small businesses.
2: I'm just wondering why her menu didn't include grits. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Do you like grits, by the way?
1: I do actually, because oh, I think I've I mentioned before, more. my mom is from the south, yes. <laughs> so she would make grits every once in a while, and oh, and I do I really like grits.
2: I love grits. Oh, okay. Moving on to the story, <laughs> Nichols loves sports, particularly martial arts, which he started learning at age or at age eleven. <laughs> friends from the neighborhood remember him showing off his skills on the street with nunchucks. <laughs> Nichols's mother taught him to play the piano by ear on the gigantic white baby grand that seemed to dominate their home.
1: Those are expensive baby grand pianos.
2: I know, but I, I gotta think that at this time, if they were a middle-class family, I've, I've seen documentaries and articles that if you, it was a sign of success to have some kind of piano in your home yeah yeah, yeah. any kind of piano so makes sense
1: the uprights are not so expensive but those baby oh. grands are pretty expensive it's not a success so they were doing pretty good yeah. yeah although the family was baptist both boys were sent to the catholic cardinal gibbon school for a private senior high education Brian stuck close to his older brother, Mark, and shadowed the neighborhood boys. Although Windermere Avenue wasn't within walking distance of his Cherry Hill relatives, according to one of his friends from the neighborhood, this neighborhood also felt like family, and a lot of the families have remained there. Among the neighborhood friends, Nichols was known as the jokester.
2: Oh, that's kind of funny. Mm -hmm. Although a lot of articles describe Nichols's early life as idyllic, a psychologist at his later trial testified that Brian Nichols had a troubled childhood. His parents worked hard, but were often absent. His father allegedly drank to excess and smoked marijuana. Uh, The psychologist alleged that a cousin and Brian's older brother sexually abused him up until the time he was about nine years old. And that he was bullied, which, um, if it's true, isn't shocking given what his crimes were.
1: Yeah, yeah. In high school, Nichols' best friend was Zachary Dingle. They played football together on their high school team, and when Dingle got a scholarship to play football at Kutztown University of Pennsylvania in 1989, Nichols followed, even though he did not get a scholarship. Kutztown is about 97 percent white and one percent. Black, uh, mm-hmm. and then there's one percent Latinx, and the rest other races. Mm. And then the ancestries of the folks there are mostly German, with some Irish, Italian, English, and Polish mixed in. Mm. I'm not one hundred percent sure on the reason why, but Dingle didn't like Kutstown, and it seems a likely reason that he didn't like it is, you know, the um the makeup of the people there.
2: Yeah, it's uncomfortable. To be in a white space um, yeah. when you are the only person of color, people want to touch your hair, they want to touch your skin, they want to know if your dad is is present or in prison. Like people, people get white white people who don't know any better get really really weird, and it and it makes somebody <laughs> who's a person of color who's not who's not like prepared to be around people like that really uncomfortable. And so this is not uncommon. Even today, um, black kids or uh, kids of color end up at these white institutions and um, they don't have any support. And there are all these microaggressions and again, just white people who don't know any better. And it just um, it sets them up to fail. So I think that you're right. That's probably why he left uh, college.
1: Yeah. Seems a good reason, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he he contacted another coach at a college in Virginia who had recruited him, and then he left the college, and he left Nichols there.
2: Mm, so Nichols was by himself. Mm-hmm. Nichols majored in biology and played one season as a linebacker, but it was at Kutztown that Nichols began to get into trouble with the law. In 1990, Nichols appeared in court four times. Four times in one year? Whoa! Although some of the offenses were for typical college hijinks like loud parties, buying alcohol with a fake ID, in May, he was charged with making terroristic threats and assault. Those charges were dropped and he pleaded guilty to disorderly conduct and harassment.
1: In September, he spent two nights in jail after being charged with criminal mischief and disorderly conduct. Those charges would also be dropped other incidents did not get official attention, such as uh, after arguing with a man outside of a pizza parlor one night, Nichols used a martial arts kick to knock the man to the ground.
2: Oh, me, oh my, Santa Maria, that is not good. (laughs) Um, And I've heard, I don't know if it's true, but like People who are black belts or people who are professional boxers or professional fighters, their limbs are like considered um deadly weapons. <laughs> weapons. Yeah, yeah. And they if 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 they were to fight a civilian outside of the ring or outside of um the dojo or whatever, that they can get like serious charges. Oh wow. Anyway, I don't know if that's true. I could just be making it up from like a Nickelodeon episode <laughs>
1: just of, pulling of yeah. <laughs> just pulling it out
2: of your ass. Pulling it out Don't fact <laughs> don't back check me on it. <laughs> anyway, uh, same year that Nichols left for college, his family left Baltimore for good and moved to South Carolina. In May 1990, Nichols and Diggle decided to help pay for college by joining the Army Reserves. They enlisted as Army buddies, quote unquote, so they would get the same assignment. But after basic training, they never trained together again.
1: Not surprising.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder. If, I wonder if his friend was trying to get away from him the whole time, and his friend was yeah. just like. Okay. Yeah, oh I guess I'd leave him alone. <laughs> I, I guess just like his friend just had no backbone. Yeah, and he just couldn't say no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just so, not surprised about the military not uh training them together after they enlisted specifically to be trained together because the military does shit like that all the time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, yeah, oh, you know, I do not know will a... Oh, yeah. Oh, we'll teach you computing. And then,
1: and then they never teach them, you know, that they make promises and, and they don't ever. <laughs> well, I can't say ever, but they're known for not following through on their promises.
2: Yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up. Uh, my dad was a Navy. He was in the Navy and he was a recruiter. And he um, expressed feeling bad because it, it's basically sales, right? Yeah, is. You're trying it to is. sell. Um, yeah. the um, military dream to these young men and women. And uh, sometimes you have to be a little dishonest in order to to, to yeah. get to make the sale, which is yeah. unfortunate, but
1: Very unfortunate. Uh, he wasn't
2: called up for active duty, but he feared going to war.
1: In the early 1990s, Nichols fathered a child with his college girlfriend, Stephanie L.J., but he avoided the baby and neglected his child support. Nichols transferred from Kutztown to Newberry College in South Carolina, where his parents lived. He played defensive and in 1993 and 94, but was kicked off the football team after he broke into a dorm room late one night and was arrested for first degree burglary.
2: Uh Uh-oh. He never graduated from Newberry, although I read somewhere that he did have a two-year degree in computing or something like that. Then he seemed to follow his parents as his mother continued to be transferred around the Southeast. They moved from South Carolina to Florida, where his older brother had settled. Finally, in 1996, his parents landed in Atlanta, and Nichols lived with them for a time there, where he worked for Hewlett Packard. Ooh, that's a good-ass company to work for. Mm -hmm. And later, UPS. Ooh, that's another good company to work for as a computer (laughs) technician. But then his mother took a tax consulting job in Africa. Whoa! And Nichols yeah. either
1: couldn't
2: or didn't want to go with his parents. So he stayed in Atlanta. The ATL, peace up, A-Town down. Sorry.
1: <laughs> Throughout his time in Georgia, Nichols was in trouble with the law. From 1996 to 1999, he was on probation for a felony drug possession charge in Cobb County. In April 2004, Nichols and his longtime girlfriend broke up, but then they started dating again that summer. But Nichols had been seeing another woman, and she had become pregnant. News of the pregnancy was apparently enough to persuade Nichols' girlfriend to end their relationship for good. She began dating a minister at the church they both went to, which enraged Nichols. On two occasions in August, he confronted the minister outside of the woman's apartment.
2: Yeah, in 2019, this behavior would absolutely have been completely unacceptable. Um, Yeah. Just not leave the woman alone after the relationship ended and continue to pursue her in her spaces where she should be safe. um, Basically stalking her. Basically stalk her, yeah. Um, Early in the morning on August 19th, 2004, Nichols showed up at his ex girlfriend's condo with a silver semi automatic weapon and he bound her in duct tape. He later returned with a machine gun, raped her, and forced her to perform oral sex. Nichols was later arrested on multiple charges for rape, kidnapping, and assault. And by the way, in the movie, up until this point, Nichols sounds like a not nice man or not nice boyfriend. Uh, But in the movie, they really did you watch the movie by the way
1: i only watched a little bit of it i didn't watch the whole thing
2: it wasn't that great but uh they made him seem like a nice guy it was weird Hmm. totally not what we've researched
1: (laughs) yeah so later barry hazen the attorney who represented nichols in the rape trial said the circumstances surrounding the rape of nichols's former longtime girlfriend gave him the first hint that nichols might be mentally off for the alleged attack the lawyer said nichols wore an army ranger t-shirt and brought a machine gun a cooler of food and a pitcher of iced tea to the girlfriend's condo i began to think is this guy going to war is he going to a picnic or is he going to rape somebody said hazen Mm. this is an odd series of things
2: (laughs) you bet your bottom dollar it is (laughs) holy moly a cooler, a whole ass cooler of food. Yeah, cooler what of food. I see. <laughs> what? According to a forensic psychologist, at his later trial, when Nichols was charged with the girlfriend's rape in August 2004, and Nichols' attorney needed his parents to return to the count or to the country because they were in Africa, or whatever, and testified at his trial, his parents didn't come back to testify and didn't even visit him in jail. Wow. So that's it for Nichols' early life. Now we're going to dive into the timeline, the setting of the crimes, the true crimes. So
1: hit it, babe. Nichols was arrested and held without bail. His first trial before Judge Barnes began on February 21st, 2005, and he testified in his own defense. The first attempt at a trial ended with a mistrial and a hung jury. While awaiting a second trial, friends and family members of Nichols expressed concern that he would attempt to escape and that Nichols had tried to formulate an escape plan with a friend. Security in the courtroom had been increased after Nichols was caught with some homemade knives. He was facing a possible life sentence.
2: Then on March 11, 2005, at about 8.45 a.m., Nichols was being escorted by Cynthia Hall, a sheriff's deputy to his retrial for the rape and other charges. Hall was uh, 51 years old. She was about five feet tall, and she was alone with Nichols, a former college football player who was six foot one and weighed 210 pounds. She removed his handcuffs so he could change clothes before entering the courtroom.
1: Yeah, and I wanted to mention that um, I can't remember where I read it, but um, somewhere uh, that the reason why she was alone with him was because uh, some people had called out so they were um, understaffed that day
2: oh okay
1: so anyway uh he then attacked hall the struggle lasted about three minutes and was caught on surveillance video nichols left her in critical condition with a head wound and facial fractures he took her gun changed clothes and crossed the sky bridge into the next building heading for the courtroom Nichols went to Judge Roland Barnes's private chambers, tore out the phone lines, and subdued his staff.
2: At 8.55 a.m., Nichols entered the courtroom from behind the bench, fired a single shot into Barnes's head, then shot and killed court reporter Julie Brandow in front of several spectators. Afterward, he encountered a deputy rushing across the bridge. What's going on? The deputy asked. Nichols said it was some sort of emergency. Nichols then went down the stairwell and left through an emergency exit, setting off an emergency alarm. Outside on Martin Luther King Jr. Drive, he fired multiple shots into the abdomen of another sheriff's deputy, Hoyt Teasley, whose gun he also took.
1: Over the next few hours, he hijacked as many as five cars. Around 9.05 a.m., Nichols stole an SUV, drove fewer than three blocks, and crashed through the gate of another parking deck. Then at 9.07 a.m., Nichols stole a tow truck at gunpoint. At 9.14 a.m., Nichols drove to another parking deck about six blocks away and stole a 2004 Mercury Sable. The woman who owned the car says she escaped after refusing Nichols's order to stay in the car.
2: It is too early for all of this nonsense. Too early in the morning. At about about 9.15 a.m., Atlanta Police Command staff were notified at APD communications that a Fulton County deputy had been shot. At 9.16 a.m., Nichols carjacked a blue Isuzu trooper, The tow truck stolen at 9.07 was recovered at a parking deck at about 9.19 a.m. Then at 9.20 a.m., Nichols drove a couple more blocks to another deck where he stole the car of AJC reporter Don O'Brien, a green 1997 Honda Accord. Did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility including Old Whitey and me? Seriously that is a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our
1: doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash fruit, you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, Mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility.
2: Wow, that's amazing! Now, if you want kids to Day, or in the future, never or are undecided. It's important to have clinically
1: sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash fruit. That's modernfertility.com slash fruit. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life. So it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. But there's also BetterHelp online therapy. Now, we are huge advocates for mental health here at Freeze oh, yeah. HQ. Oh, yes.
2: And we have both used therapy throughout our lives, including BetterHelp. And especially in these past several years, to help us deal with challenging times,
1: mm-hmm. challenging
2: thoughts, feelings and experiences. Amen. Yes. And now I had a recent, you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't yeah. have to go to
1: a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So Right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So Oh, yes. And it is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist is in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash fruit. That's better. H-E-L P dot slash fruit.
2: He says Nichols ordered him into the trunk and pistol whipped him when he refused. But O'Brien managed to run away.
1: That's such a weird uh series of events like just stealing cars and driving them to other parking decks and stealing more cars. Like what what was going yeah. on in his head?
2: Well, it seemed. I think he also stole one of the radios. Of well, at least in the movie, he stole one of the radios of like one of the deputies that he shot, and he could hear them describing the car that he was in.
1: And so so once he
2: heard, yeah, once he heard the car's description, then he would
1: target somebody else. Right. Right. Gotcha. So then Nichols put on a blue blazer that belonged to the much smaller O'Brien and walked away from the garage. He went down an alley and then went up the hill next to the old AJC building. An editor walking into work remembers seeing a well-built black man walking past him wearing a blazer and no shirt. So he thought that's what the kids are wearing these days. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh man that's, so that's probably what I'd do too <laughs> I guess that's what they're doing these days that's, that's yep. just, oh well I don't know I'm, oh well <laughs> not my problem Relax. Yeah. Mind, mind your business drink your water and moisturize then you won't get into trouble yeah. uh, <laughs> so Nichols walked two blocks to a commuter sta- train station blending in with crowds attending a basketball tournament He asked a woman for $2 for the train, and then he rode the train north. It was about 9.30 a.m. He said he got off the train and went to a hotel about 100 yards away from the train station. He went into an open room and pretended to be a customer, telling a maid he was getting ready to leave.
1: Yeah, that's really smart, actually.
2: Yeah, got to give it to him.
1: Yeah, he then stayed in the room watching the manhunt on TV for much of the day. Several hours later, he walked down to Lenox Road near the mall and saw a police squad passing. He put his hand to his face, pretending to be on a cell phone. As the cops went by, he then found a storage area in a parking garage and hid until dark.
2: Okay, so that's it for the timeline. Now we're going to dive into the investigation and the arrest. So the Atlanta Police Department took command of the crime scene. Around 7 p.m., authorities announced they were offering a $60,000 reward for information leading to Nichols' capture. At about 10.30 p.m., he accosted a woman, Iman Adan, she was 23 years old, outside her apartment on Lennox Road and told her America's making war on him. He forced her at gunpoint to let him into her apartment where he was confronted by her boyfriend, Shelton Warren. Nichols hit Warren three times with his pistol and then left.
1: A few blocks away, David Wilhelm, an off-duty assistant special agent in charge at the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, was working on a new home he and his wife were building when Nichols apparently found him. Wilhelm's body was later found by a construction worker at 6.30 or 7 a.m. Nichols had taken the agent's badge, gun, and truck.
2: Ooh, Jesus. On March twelfth, two thousand five, at about two thirty AM, a woman named Ashley Smith returned to her apartment after running out for a pack of cigarettes. Nichols forced his way into her apartment at gunpoint and bound her hands and feet. He had her sit in the bathroom while he took a shower. He told her, I'm not going to hurt you if you just do what I say. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt anybody else.
1: Smith was a twenty-six year old waitress trying to put her life back together. She was a widow with a five-year-old daughter named Paige. Paige was living with an aunt while Smith tried to kick a meth addiction. As they talked, Nichols began to relax and eventually unbound Ashley's hands and feet. Nichols asked Smith if she had any marijuana. She did not, but she gave her meth stash to Nichols. When Nichols asked her if she wanted any, she said no.
2: She later said that uh, she would rather have died in her apartment than have done drugs with Nichols. She did not want to die with drugs in her system. Instead, she gently talked to Nichols, turning from hostage to confidant, as they discussed God, family, pancakes, and the manhunt going on outside her apartment. Smith read aloud from the book The Purpose Driven Life. It's a religious book, and she believed that God brought Nichols to her door.
1: Nichols told Smith that he felt like he was already dead. But Smith urged him to consider the fact that he was still alive a miracle. You're here in my apartment for some reason, she told him, saying he might be destined to be caught and to spread the word of God to fellow prisoners. She told him his escape from authorities had been a miracle.
2: The two talked about the Bible and she showed him photos of her family. Smith told Nichols that her husband had died four years prior and if he hurt her, her little girl wouldn't have a mother or a father. And when morning came, according to Smith, Nichols was overwhelmed when Smith made him pancakes with real butter. He told her he just wanted some normalness in his life. Nichols at one point called her an angel sent from God.
1: The two watched television news reports about the slayings and the manhunt. I can't believe that's me on there, Smith has quoted Nichols as saying. Sometime after 6 a.m., Smith says she followed Nichols so that he could hide the truck and then took him back to her apartment in her car. She says that Nichols did not take any weapons on the trip and that she had her cell phone but did not call police.
2: Nichols finally allowed Smith to leave when she told him she needed to go see her daughter, who was at a church function. Nichols gave her money, saying he was going to stay at her apartment for a few days. Smith believes that Nichols finally let her go because he was touched by the mother-daughter connection. When she finally opened her door to leave, Nichols asked, Will you tell Paige hello for me?
1: At about 9.50 a.m., Smith called 911, and within minutes, a SWAT team converged on the building. Nichols was taken into custody at about 11.30 a.m. after surrendering by waving a white T-shirt or a towel. Okay,
2: so now we're going to dive into the trial. And on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, uh, May 5th, 2005, The Fulton County Grand Jury indicted Nichols on 54 counts, including four counts of felony murder. In addition to the felony murder charges, Nichols was indicted on four counts of murder, three counts of aggravated assault on a police officer, 18 counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, two counts of aggravated battery, seven counts of kidnapping and kidnapping with bodily injury, seven counts of armed robbery and I'm out of breath. Five counts of robbery by force, (laughs) theft by taking, there's more, escape and hijacking a motor vehicle. On May 17th, 2005, Nichols pleaded not guilty to all 54 kids.
1: The trial was stalled for a while when there was a dispute over funding for Nichols' defense team, which had been paid about $1.2 million by the state of Georgia. Wow. The state agency responsible for indigent defense had run out of money, and other cases were at risk of being delayed or derailed.
2: Oh, that's not good. Somebody no. needs to fix that. Um, but they eventually worked it out, and the trial began on September 22, 2008, at the Fulton County Courthouse, the place where his crime spree began. Nichols' defense argued that he was insane and should not be held accountable for his actions. The defense stated that he had previously shown signs of depression and suicidal ideations after breaking up with his girlfriend.
1: Barry Hazen, the attorney who represented Nichols in his rape trial, testified that during that trial, Nichols insisted that his former girlfriend still loved him and wouldn't testify against him even though she brought the rape charges against him and the rape was so violent that she was injured. He also said that Nichols was emboldened because he had testified in his first rape trial, which ended in a hung jury.
2: Nichols had turned down a plea deal, which Judge Barnes had agreed to, that would give him 15 years in prison instead of the 25 or more years he was likely to get if convicted, which Hazen told Nichols is what he expected. Nichols believed he was such a ladies' man, he could win over the jury in the second trial the way that he had in the first. A jury's going to love me, Hazen testified, Nichols told him. I'm a handsome man. All we need is women on the jury, and Barry you don't have to worry. (laughs) That's pretty wild.
1: Yeah. Psychology experts were brought forward to testify that Nichols had had an abusive childhood and that his father's history of drug abuse led to Nichols abusing drugs in his adult life as well. The defense also provided college papers written by Nichols that expressed Nichols's belief that white people were involved in a conspiracy to eradicate the Black race.
2: Clinical and forensic psychologist Mark Cunningham testified that Brian Nichols's belief that he was a slave, rebelling against the U.S. government, began in his college years, and the delusion has continued long after his 2005 shooting spree. He read from college essays that Nichols wrote in 1992. Um... By the way, I just have to point out, welcome to Culture Corner, 1992 was a pretty critical year, especially for young black people in the United States. That was the year um, Rodney King, um, the the police um, didn't get convicted. And there were the L.A. riots and um, communities of color all over the United States were like What the fuck, man? This was on video. Um. So you can understand why he might have felt that way. In them, Nichols lays out his belief that there is an organized and deliberate attempt by whites to eradicate the black race by imprisoning black men and keeping them from having children. Nichols said he believes Blacks should use violence to rebel.
1: Cunningham said that Nichols's extreme beliefs became full-blown delusions when he was jailed in 2004 for raping his ex-girlfriend. While there, Nichols said the conditions paralleled slavery, labor without pay, poor sanitation, chains, and he compared his white judge, Roland Barnes, to a slave master.
2: Now you and I did a review of the movie Thirteen. And I have to say that Nichols is not wrong. Yeah. Also, I found out that prisoners in Georgia don't get paid anything. I know oh, that wow. um, in some in some states, prisoners get paid like 15 cents yeah, per they hour or some shit like peanuts. that.
1: Peanuts. Yeah. Yeah. But at least they get something. Not.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I watched uh, last week tonight with John Oliver and some prisoners um, in Texas are uh, volunteering to be like rodeo clowns and have bulls charge them and throw them. (laughs) It's not funny, but like hurl them into the air. And so they can get hundreds of dollars for doing that or, you know, 20 cents an hour for cleaning, you know, uh, cells or cleaning the cafeteria or to cook. So even though it's super dangerous, it's um, more, they get paid more money so that they can make phone calls to their lawyers, make phone calls to their families and work on their on their cases, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, yeah. I say that all to say that I don't think Nichols is wrong. And prisoners in Georgia and across the United States are not treated that well. Um, yeah. Anyway, on November 7th, 2008, after 12 hours of deliberation, the jury of eight women and four men, six black females, two white females, two black males, one white male and one Asian male found Nichols guilty on all 54 counts. Okay. The jurors reject the defense attorney's claim that Nichols suffers from a mental illness.
1: On December thirteenth, two 2008, Nichols was sentenced to life in prison without parole, the maximum for all counts, a day after the jury deadlocked on a death penalty sentence.
2: So now we're going to get into where are they now? Okay, I'll tell you. Nichols is incarcerated Georgia Diagnostic and Classification State Prison. The prison conducts diagnostic processing for the state correctional system, houses male offenders under death sentence, and carries out state-ordered executions by lethal injection. Uh, The prison complex also contains a special management unit that houses some of the most aggressive and dangerous prisoners in the correctional system.
1: I thought that was a really weird name, the Georgia Diagnostic and Classification State Prison. So I looked up a little bit more about it. Oh. While at, I'm just going to call it GDCP, inmates are uh-huh. either in the process of being classified and tested or they are assigned as permanent Those inmates who are permanents will serve their entire sentence at GDCP, which I'm assuming Nichols is, while the Mm -hmm. remainder of the inmates are tested and then moved to other prisons based on their classifications. So it's a testing facility and a prison. Oh,
2: interesting. Oh, thanks for that little tidbit of knowledge, Jeff. (laughs) Sure. So some family members of the victims filed civil lawsuits against Fulton County, Georgia. Judge Barnes's widow won a $5.2 million lawsuit. Wow. Uh, county commissioners agreed to pay $5 million to Julie Ann Brandow's daughter, Christine Schulte, who also sued.
1: Ashley Smith wrote a book called Unlikely Angel. The book recounts the seven hours she spent as Brian Nichols' hostage. She says that the incident is what made her realize that she was a drug addict to turn her life around and kick drugs for good. And on September eighteenth, two 2015, the film Captive was released by Paramount Pictures, which is an adaptation of Smith's book. And I just wanted to read this movie review by James Roche of The Wrap who called the movie Captive, a Lifetime movie shoved into a cage and fattened with sermons and platitudes until it's ready to be served up cold and bland.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Whoa, that is inflammatory to say the least.
1: I just thought it was really funny. (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay, so you said you, could you just not get through it, or you didn't have time? I
1: couldn't. Like get you just couldn't. I just yeah. Yeah, I I kind of agreed with uh, James Roche. It was a lifetime movie. Well, I think you know it would have been a little more interesting if I think they were really pushing the um the God stuff. So
2: they sure shit were. And did you yeah. know that this woman was on Oprah for her book?
1: Was she? Yes. Ah. Yes. Did you watch that? Oh
2: yes. Um, I think I okay, I, I watched it when it first aired back in the day. Um, okay. But I, I think I just saw like, pictures on um, the internet of person okay, so and Oprah's couch. Okay, I don't okay. I didn't uh, look into the uh, the new stuff. Uh, but okay. anyway, um, so she made a lot of money off of this uh, yeah, yeah. incident. Um, So now we're going to get into what we believe made the killer snap and our takeaways. So what do you got, Beth? What do you think?
1: Well, Nichols uh, was estranged from his parents. You know, they, they fled to Africa. And it sounds like he didn't have a very close relationship with them uh, before that either. And I read that they would not uh, testify in his favor when he was accused of rape or visit him in jail. Mm-hmm. And uh, reportedly, the trial wasn't going well for him, and he was afraid that he was going to be put away for a very long time. In his confession, he said that the Fulton County Jail, where he had been for six months, reminded him of slavery. And um, he said that slaves have a tendency to rebel and that it was his right to declare war. He saw the judge as a slave master, and that's why he was targeted. Uh, he claimed that there was no collateral damage, which sometimes happens in war. But uh, when asked about shooting the court reporter, Julie Brando, he said, I got caught up in the moment. Um, I, I think he he literally did snap. I mean, he I I just think that all of these things together, he just lost it.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. Um, So uh, after doing the research and I also watched the movie and like newsreels and stuff like that, I think that he did snap. Like yeah. once he realized this rape trial is going very badly, like my own parents won't even like come and yeah. justify on my behalf. He just lost it. Like it's all or nothing. Right. Um, but uh, as I said earlier, his interpretation of his experience within the justice system mirroring slavery is not at all shocking to me. I actually think it's accurate. And um, I think that as far as our prison system is concerned, we could do a lot lot better. better. And people would be able to get out, get rehabilitated. It wouldn't, the idea of going to prison, I think to most people, it's the end of your life. Yeah. Um, You might as well. So yeah, I think uh, that's
1: where where he got to was like, well, uh, this is my, my chance to get free. And, and, uh, he just took it.
2: Yeah. And so I think if, if prison was more about correcting and rehabilitating people that, uh, this may have never happened. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? If he had, if he had seen it as an opportunity to get right, to, um, uh, pay for his pay for his crimes to become a better person, um, that it wouldn't have been such a um, all-or-nothing um, right. proposition. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I agree. And let us know what you guys think on our Fruit Loop Squad discussion page. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. So, if you love true like and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips.
2: So, uh my tips are about what to do in the event that there is an active shooter. This Good is relevant idea. to the story yeah. and also hey a- uh, to what happened this weekend and in the United States, it's been going on for a long ass time yeah. from the courthouse to a Walmart, to a school, a church, a club, a movie theater, or a grocery store. Any one of us, especially in the United States can find ourselves in an active shooter, si- shooter situation. And there have been safety experts all over the news and online over the past 24 hours. So here's some tips um, and key things to remember um, are if, if you can't remember anything else, remember, run, hide, and as an absolute last resort, fight. And there are a gazillion tips out there, but I'm just going to share the most interesting ones. And um, uh, you can, uh, we'll go ahead and put a link um, in the show notes, uh, but I don't want the episode to go too long. So if you see something, say something, um, stay informed, um, be aware of your environment and any possible dangers, know where the exits are. Um, Let's see. Uh, if you have to escape, um, have a path in mind and identify places where you can hide. Also, don't forget about our brothers and sisters with disabilities because they might not be able to get away or get out as quickly as you can. So if you are capable of helping somebody um, escape an active shooter situation, we saw this weekend, a lot of people were helping children get out uh, to safety. Um, so if you can do that, great. If you can't, get out. Um during an active su- uh, shooter situation, if you can run, um, escape, help others escape. As I said, call 911 when you're in a safe space. If you can't run away, then hide. Uh, secure your location to make sure that the active shooter can't get in or can't see you. Um, don't hide in groups. Um, and I think back to, I can't, like thinking of um, active shooters distress where everybody like has hidden in one room. Yeah. Um, and that's not, then the shooter can kill all of you guys. Uh, so, um, don't hide in groups, uh, check in on social media. If you are able to get to safety and update the authorities on your location and what's going on. Um, and again, as an absolute last resort fight, but don't do it alone. If there's other people who are willing to, to join you in subduing this, um, active shooter, or active shooters, um, Use any weapons you guys can get your hands on, chairs, get creative, use chairs, scissors, books, um, anything to try to um, distract the active shooter and also um, subdue him. And then uh, another really interesting um, tip I saw was make sure you silence your phone uh, or any electronic devices. Um, And then in the event um, that uh, there are injured people around you, if it is possible um, evacuate them and also, um, provide first aid. If you, if you can, um, apply direct pressure to any wounds, um, tourniquets, if you learn how to do a tourniquet, watch each, watch YouTube or go to some, um, uh, CPR training or something, and then turn wounded people onto their sides if they're unconscious and keep them warm. Um, and that's all I got. There's a ton of tips out there. Um, but just, if you can just do a little google shirts and see, you know, what, what can I, what can I find out about, um, being safe in the event that I'm in an active shooter situation? Because it is more likely than not that this is going to keep happening until something changes. Yeah. So we need to be prepared. Look alive, guys. Yeah. It's crazy out there.
1: Yeah. Good tips. Thanks, Wendy.
2: All right. So now we're going to dive into some serial killer or true crime news. So what do you got, Beth?
1: Well, the Phoenix Police Department will soon be implementing new procedures to track when an officer points a gun at someone. The policy is a recommendation from the Community Police Trust Initiative and is the number one recommendation by the National Police Foundation following a 2018 study of Phoenix Police Department's officer-involved shootings. Phoenix police say the policy will track when Phoenix police point their weapons in the direction of a person and says it will provide a quantifiable measure of how often officers successfully de-escalate a situation with the potential for lethal force to be used after pointing a firearm at a person. A Phoenix officer will be required to generate a police incident report, check a box on the report, and inform a supervisor. And you know how much they hate to do paperwork, so... So Phoenix officers fired shots in 44 incidents in 2018, more than any other police department in the nation, and the most ever recorded by Phoenix officers. The policy will go into effect on August 19th.
2: Um, One thing I think uh, that needs to be um, stated is that a lot of these police shootings aren't tracked by the police departments themselves. I think there is an organization who has, um, began to create a database of police, um, shootings. Um, but they're not oh. getting the information from the police departments themselves. Again, right. the departments don't track this information. So these people who are tracking it are getting it from news reports, newspapers, um, and reporting by, hmm. um, good journalists. Um, so, uh, I, I, I do I I do have to commend the Phoenix Police Department. Mo- I think most police are messy hoes, but I think that this is a good yeah. thing that they're tracking and being transparent. I also think a lot of it yeah, has to do yeah. with the fact that the police yeah. chief is a black woman with a black son. Um, and so I think that this is a good thing. So you know what? Shout out to you, Phoenix PD. <laughs> you won't hear me say that again. So, uh... I don't think I need to even bother explaining that my news is about the, 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 the two mass shootings that we had in uh, right. our country. Who And it is important to note, and I don't know why the media is so reluctant to call it this. I mean, Beto work went off on the news. Have you seen that clip of Beto losing no, it? No, I haven't. At the news? Because it, it happened in his city in El Paso. And the media was like, um... Beto, do you think that the poli- the the president is racist and that maybe he had something to do mm. with these shootings? And he was like, Are you kidding me? He said, Listen to the shit that this president yeah. says. He literally said shit. And then he goes, What the fuck, news media? Oh my God. Why aren't you calling it what it is? He dropped the F bomb? He did. Oh my gosh. Man, I love Beto for just calling it like it is. Like that really the news is afraid to report the truth mm-hmm. as far as white's is concerned and beta was like you guys need to call this what it is connect the dots yeah. um and so like my my heart dropped um and fluttered a little bit because it is <laughs> Beto. um but i am just i was just glad somebody somebody said, said something somebody yeah. important somebody white said something to the media because they needed to hear that they're reporting it wrong yeah. um and so anyway uh, and I've said this before that Charlemagne the God on the Breakfast Club calls um, these these white domestic terrorists white vanilla ISIS because yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's terrorism. It's terrorism. Yeah, so it anyway, is. so now we're going to dive into the part of our show where we shout out any true crime goodies content by people of color, any marginalized groups, or anything anything fun. So. Um, before I open my big fat mouth, Beth, did you want to say anything?
1: Yeah, um I I wanted to recommend a podcast. Um it's just a fun little podcast for when you get tired of true crime and all this depressing stuff that's going on in the world Mm -hmm. so the podcast is called trashy divorces oh it's not something i would have sought out myself as the name doesn't really appeal to me but as it uh, turns out i really like it the hosts are a lesbian couple and they don't it's not a show where they just make fun of people and gossip about celebrity divorces which is what i thought it would be Mm-hmm. Um, they do talk about celebrities, oh. but they also cover historical figures like Henry VIII, and they they get into their lives and they talk about their lives and and how they got where they are, you know, with their their marriages or their relationships. Uh, and they aren't just laughing mm-hmm. at these people; they talk about what happened and, uh, like I said, uh, what happened in their lives to get them there. Uh, but there there is some laughing; they do joke around a little bit, and I uh, just I enjoyed mm-hmm. it, and sometimes especially lately with all the news and everything i sometimes i just can't i can't even <laughs> i need something a little more lighthearted. so yeah. i wanted to shout that out yeah, I um although i, I, I have see. to say mm-hmm. that um most of the people that they cover are not people of color so uh, maybe we can make some suggestions for them
2: maybe but i do think that it's important um to listen to the voices of, um, also LGBTQ women. And I think it's cool. They're doing a podcast. And so I will add it to my queue. Um, my shout out only orange is the new black. Everybody's got to watch it. This season is, um, uh, they, they get into the detention centers. They talk about, it's obviously an incredibly diverse cast, um, and it's the last season and I just loved every second of it. I'm sorry to see the show go. So yeah, check out Oranges Is the New Black. Um, and, uh, Beth, oh man, our time is coming to an end. <laughs> it's been so fun. Where can the people find us
1: Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod, and links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There is no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch.
2: Yes, everything Beth said is all true. (laughs) And also, this is a weekly podcast. And new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there.
0: killer podcasts and slow burn media production subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows